Hi, welcome to today's episode of Priority Status by J Public Relations. I'm Amy Ogden, Senior Vice President of Brand at JPR. Today's episode has two guests joining us. They are Matt Berman and Andrew Cochin, both founding principals at Workshop APD. Workshop APD is a design and architecture firm focusing on the site-specific and the experiential. Their team designs everything from seaside retreats and sleek urban lofts to luxurious family homes, high-end multifamily developments, trend-setting restaurants, and now they're making some big moves in the hotel and travel spaces. And that's why we were so excited to have them on Priority Status. This is a big ideas team. They conceptualize first and then they design. And you might have seen their work recently in the New York Times and Architectural Digest. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Matt and Andrew. And as always, thank you for being a part of Priority Status. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. You know, I, um, I've i wanted to have you two on this podcast for a while, actually. When we met, gosh, what was it, like six months ago, maybe, I had the chance to come to your office and was just so impressed with the work you were doing and your team and, and knowing, and we're going to dive into this in a bit, but a little bit of a spoiler alert, how you're sort of, you know, really making some moves in hotels. I was like, we got to get you on. So we're really happy to have you. Um, I know I introduced you both very briefly to our listeners at the beginning, but I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves. Thank you very much. We're, we are delighted to be here. And when we met you six months ago, you definitely left us thinking about so many different things, especially in the realm of social and how, to, how we sort of promote ourselves in that environment and left us with a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of good questions. Um, so my name is Matt Berman. I'm one of the founding uh, principals of Workshop APD, uh, along with Andrew Cotchin sitting next to me. Um, I... Uh, now I don't know what I'm supposed to say. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, You're we, supposed to talk about yourself. Totally. <laughs> uh, we'll probably actually keep that in, by the way. Probably, yeah, I, I love a good outtake. Every once in a while, we just leave an outtake. It's hard to talk about yourself. It's okay. It's okay. It is. We're much better talking yeah. about our work. I think, I think <laughs> yeah. architects in general are much better talking about their work than talking about themselves. Um, I've now been in New York for about 25 years. I went to grad school at Columbia and stayed here ever since. Um, Andrew and I actually met at Lehigh University in in Pennsylvania uh, back in 1992. Correct. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's been a... a Matt was my big brother in our fraternity. (laughs) Awkward, but we'll roll with that. Not awkward at all. (laughs) That's That's true. Very awkward for me. (laughs) The two founding partners of JPR met in college as well, and they now, you know, own and run our company. So that's really cool. So I moved to New York. Um, I've been here ever since, um, except for a short stint in Costa Rica, which was kind of interesting. Um, Just a little bit of a reset. And then... um, live in Brooklyn with my husband uh, and our 11 and a half year old son and our dog. Uh, we have a house in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is, you know, on sort of everybody's radar screen these days. It's everybody's a really, radar. Man. really fun place. We've been there for about 20 years. Um, and it's been amazing just to watch that town come alive. So it is definitely my, uh, my happy place. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Everywhere I turn, I'm hearing about Asbury Park yeah. lately. You should come down. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, cool. I'll give you a little bit more background on us. Matt was a little brief there. Um, We both sort of had a passion coming out of grad school for 
um, this idea of business design exploration and how we could sort of carve our own path within whatever industry that, you know, the evolution of this industry. So, um, we both actually following our academic careers had opportunities to, to go out on our own and just sort of test out a project or two and see where that led us. Um, shortly after that, I had actually moved to Nantucket, sort of odd story, but then came back to New York. In the middle um, of winter. In the middle of winter. Matt oh, actually wow. moved out there with me, but again, that's a whole Dropped other... Dropped him po- off and left him. That's a whole other, di- <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. Um, moved back to New York three years later, was getting a bit more work. Matt was now wrapping up some of his experience. What he didn't say is he was an editor of uh, any magazine. He had his great um, whole side career before we went into practice together that really, I think, has benefited us long-term in, in our current work. And then we were both got work. We had lunch one day. I remember we were sitting, it was right in Union Square, and we decided, you know what, two minds are better than one, so we might as well partner up and work together just because we can have more fun. So we um, worked in my apartment for about a minute, decided that wasn't going to work, rented space, and have really been on this um, nice trajectory of growth for the past 20, 21 years, um, where it was just the two of us, and we've steadily grown, and our practice now is up to 50 people. Um, we've done a very... Um, thoughtful job of planning out strategic um, relationships, typologies of work, hence the so- sort of growth into hospitality, which I know we'll get into in our in our conversation in a minute. And but still, really feel like we're 22 years old, sort of exploring, reinventing our practice, trying to do things better, pushing each other to the extremes, um, with really no end to where we think we want to go. We're just, we're, we're passionate about new things. We're passionate about design. We're passionate about always being better than what we did the day before. And I think that's what really has propelled us over the past 20 years. And to a certain degree, I think like many creatives, we're a little bit sort of ADD and OCD. So Heavily on the ADD, ADD and OCD. Side, it wasn't diagnosed 20 years <laughs> yeah. ago. Now everybody's got on it. The, on the ADD side, uh, we are just inspired by the world around us and inspired by opportunities that are presented to us. So while we may have started like a small practice does in single family residential, we've then leveraged that and looked for other opportunities to grow that, to move into multifamily residential, to move into restaurants, to move into hotels, all because they're related. Right? It's doubtful that we're going to be designing airports tomorrow, but the idea that we can continue to expand our knowledge into areas that are adjacent to that knowledge is really interesting to us because why not? We're young enough, we're passionate enough, and we're excited about these opportunities, so we want to test ourselves uh, in these new areas. And we've, and we've built a team that is incredibly talented, devoted, and equally as passionate about these various verticals that we're in right now. So Absolutely. So the name of the company is Workshop APD. The APD stands for? Architecture Planning and Design. Architecture Planning and Design. Cool. So um, when you started work- Workshop APD 20 years ago, you know what would you say is the biggest difference in how people experience spaces, you know, than the now? Like when you were just saying, even Matt, when you just kind of threw out the word airport, I'm really blown away by how spaces have become so much more important to us. It used to, I think, be just your home was important, and you created a beautiful home. But when you went to dinner, when you were waiting at an airport on a delay for three hours, or when you were, um, you know, even in a maybe a shopping destination or some other common public area, it was more transactional. 
yeah. right? And um, so tell me a bit more about just how have people changed in the last 20 years and how they experience spaces? You know, that's an amazing question. And it's an amazing question because it points to a cultural shift. I think as designers, we have always looked to other cultures for the way that they embrace design. We look at the Europeans and the Italians. We look at the Japanese and we look at how embedded design is in their cultures from literally the way that they wrap a present to the way that they uh, curate their public spaces, restaurants, hotels, and stuff like that. For us back in America, I think you're right. The 1980s were fairly banal. I mean, we had our homes. Homes were in many ways turning into McMansions. You had office spaces that were very banal. You had restaurants that were sort of stamped out. Now we're starting to get this appreciation for space and that, for that experience. And that experience, that idea that you're creating something that is sort of novel or unique or memorable or whatever word you want to apply to it, but just something that isn't banal, is now permeating everything. So you walk into, I was in the new terminal, fortunately, uh, at the new terminal at LaGuardia. And it's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's I was just absolutely there. fantastic. Yeah. And it is this, it's, you delight. Right, Your senses are delighted. You delight in the play of light and shadow. You delight in the texture. You, you delight in the use of materiality. And that's an airport, right? Same thing with train stations. Same thing with restaurants and shopping malls. And the opportunity to sort of upend what we expect is so important to a good design experience. I, I just, just to add to that, I think, you know, even when we were younger in our practice 20 years ago, people were very focused on the technicalities of program, of what space, how it had to perform, just based on I need a room that is X feet wide, and I got to have the dining table, I need to seat 14 people, and it was very utilitarian. And we, early in our practice, did a lot of exploration on understanding how to break down program and how to sort of blur the lines between spaces so that you could expand the experience of one type of space into another. And we saw in our clients, as we began to sort of create the story of a project, no matter how big or small it was, that they became more engaged based on the information we were feeding them, the imagery we were feeding them, which wasn't accessible to the masses 15, 20 years ago. In the digital age, in the social media age, people are far more intelligent, they're more connected to what they're doing, what they're eating, where they are, how they travel, through the mass quantities of imagery that are out there. So design has moved in that direction where people understand what they're sitting on now. It's not just a chair to be on, it's what's the texture of the fabric, how is it connected to the, to the base, how does the back feel on my back, because I'm more concerned about health, and all of that has sort of weaved together this just more impactful approach to design on how we live. And as Matt said, like sort of the word experience is the real sort of buzzword that's out there right now. Absolutely. You just said something that I'd never thought of before, which is now that today's consumers have access to so much more information and imagery and content, you know, 20 years ago before, um, you know, obviously the internet and the ability to to share and see all these images. If a chair was put in front of you, that was the chair you knew about, right? But you didn't you see one on Google Instagram. You couldn't Google and see 50 other ones in two minutes right. later. And People so, are so empowered with so much more information, yes. which is a blessing and a curse. It's pretty toxic yeah. in our business, right. actually. I feel like doctors <laughs> feel the same way, though. I always hear about oh, doctors. Yeah. People come in, they you know, they diagnose MD. themselves. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's it's it goes it goes to a lot of industries. We almost know too much, and we decide that we know what we need. The or biggest want. challenge with all of the information inundation is that there's no uh, ability to evaluate quality, right? So you see everything from, you know, 
chair X to chair Y, and you have no ability, they both look the same online, the picture looks like a chair, it looks comfortable, it looks padded or whatever, but you have no ability to evaluate what the actual quality is, and it really takes that, that's where the trained professional, frankly, comes in, because you know, we do start to understand which brands promote quality, which brands we can count on, which ones may be less, re- re- less reliable and things. That makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, I was just at the Independent Lodging Congress um, conference yesterday with Jonah, one of your team members who has become a good friend of mine. And um, we were talking a lot about design and innovation in travel and how people uh, really do like to travel like they live, but also actually even live like they travel. I was um, uh, talking to a good friend of mine the other week and, you know, she stayed at Blackberry Farm and then bought the entire bed package. So Blackberry Farm sells their entire bed package. I, I, forgive me, I don't know the exact term of the package, but so it's not only now do people want to travel like they live, but then they travel and go, oh, I would like to sleep on this bed for the rest of, you know, Mm -hmm. the rest of my life. And, and the, the integration I think has just never been stronger. Like you said, it's not just about a certain number of square feet and, you know, the desk goes here and the bed mm-hmm. goes there. Um, so you're very well known, obviously, in the luxury residential spaces. I hope one day to be lucky enough to get to work with you all on my dream home. And um, the work you do is spectacular. Tell me a bit about when and how you had started having eyes on hotels and travel and hospitality. You know, I think we always did. Um, you know, starting in the residential world, and especially when you're working in the more affluent residential world, you're working with clients who are incredibly well-traveled. Clients who are constantly bringing references back to us from their travels. I stayed in this amazing hotel in Bali, and this is what the room looked like, or these were the materials, or these were the images, or this was the feel, right? It's all of those connections. And oftentimes, they're bringing that back because that's the feeling that they want to create in their in their homes. And we're doing a lot of vacation homes, second homes, third homes, things like that. So to a certain degree, it is their vacation, right? It's their opportunity to step away from their day-to-day life and enjoy sort of a, a more, more of a resort feel or more of a vacation feel. So the idea of thinking about that shift, that shift in experience is something we've always been interested in. Um, but about six years ago, we had an opportunity to do our first restaurant, um, which was down in the West, down in the East Village. What restaurant um, was it? It was called Lapiccio. Okay. Um, and we got just an opportunity to sort of touch that, that the, theat- the, the theatrics behind hospitality yes. and the public nature of hospitality and the communal nature of hospitality. And when you're dealing with the residential side of things, which is often very private, to shift to the public all of a sudden started giving us a little bit of that bug. You know, that sort of desire to play more in that public world, to bring people together, to create those communal spaces, um, and to have a slightly different type of experience. The opportunity to design in the hospitality world is a little bit different than in the residential world. The residential world, our clients have to live with things for a long time. The hospitality world, people sort of dip in and dip out. So your ability to have an impact is a little bit different. So it was just another sort of ripple in the pool for us about expanding out of really understanding how people live in their homes, in their second homes, and then ultimately ultimately in shorter stay places like hotels. So it was really an extension of the same concepts that we had been working with. I'd never thought of that. I'd never thought about how designing a home is more, it's kind of 
for all intents and purposes, long-term for one person versus the hospitality. I mean, I think of hospitality all the time, but I hadn't thought about it as shorter term for many people and how the design ethos really must have to shift when you're going between the two. Um, So tell me a little bit, you know, I know you create getaways, both in hospitality projects and in clients' private getaways that suit the location and the user, but still really represent Workshop APD's design philosophy. Tell me a little bit about how you're able to marry the two on a project. Sure. I, you know, any well-designed project um, in some capacity is rooted in its place. Um, it's we're 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 not a practice that is stamping out the same thing over and over again, no matter where it is, how big it is, and what type of project it is. Because as Matt artic- said earlier, we have ADD and we're sort of fascinated by new things all the time, so we can't focus on one thing and 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 do it for years and years. So we've always Matt and I both love to travel. We both love to travel with our families, and we're always fascinated by place and immersing yourself in the local flavor or context of a place, whether it be the landscape, whether it be the culture, theater culture, dining culture, so on and so forth. And having built a practice that ironically has roots in Nantucket, which is a a very contextually rich environment with a singular design architectural aesthetic, it sort of forced us over the years to really understand the history behind that so that we could create a design that was more us, more modern, more about sort of an indoor-outdoor living, simple forms, not embellished forms. And out of that, I think our practice really grew into going into other areas for clients, whether it be Aspen or Palm Beach or um, Westchester and, and Connecticut. And we get how to work in new regions. We understand what it takes to appeal to any sort of architectural review board or agency that might be reviewing the design to embed in the concept something that is contextual and related to the environment. And that has really served us well. And it's made the projects all have a very interesting point of view to them while still having a relationship to the to the surrounding area and not sort of being the sore thumb sticking out there that doesn't really relate to anything because it's just not, we're not doing modern design for the sake of modern design. We're doing something that's livable, something that's comfortable, something that's connected to the landscape that feels like a home. And that has translated into all of the other types of our projects, whether it be a development project that we're finishing right now in the West Village. Um, It certainly has a modern point of view, but it's not just a glass box dropped into an historic context. Um, There's elements to sort of local town, to the townhouses that have been around for quite some time that there's a proportion and scale to those things that was perfected a long time ago that we try to bring back and integrate into the projects. Right. There, there's a certain degree of um, of uh, discovery that comes with all of these projects. Um, we're doing a hotel right now in Kauai, another one in Nashville, and another one in Banff, Canada. Very different places. Could not very, be more different. Very different places. Yeah. But the opportunity to go to these places, which frankly I had never been to, um, and look at them with a fresh set of eyes. Go to a new locale. Again, like whether it's Palm Beach or Aspen or Banff, or you go to these places with a fresh set of eyes. And as a designer, you're looking for those cues. What are those things that resonate with me? What are those things I want to build on? You don't have so much knowledge that you're almost 
um, too saturated, that you don't know what to pick. Sometimes you're too immersed in a culture that it's tough to see the forest for the trees. But when you go in with fresh eyes, you can see these are the things that stand out to me. These are the things that we want to build on. These are the things that we think resonate with people who are here for a shorter period of time or who are connected to this place and really feel like, you know, we want to magnify those experiences. And that's the, honestly, that's the fun part. That's the, that discovery process of going to a new place and sort of like looking at it through that designer lens and saying, what do we want to pull? What's not obvious, right? You place like Aspen, certain things are very obvious, right? There's a sort of a timber frame, rustic construction all over the Rockies. What else is there? What else can we pull that's a little more nuanced? And so being able to do that is like that constant push-pull in design that's, that's really fun. How do you explore these things in novel ways that reinforce a story or tell a new version of the story, right? Nashville, for example, uh, the hotel we're doing there, Nashville's... Nashville, it's a great city. I like it a lot, but to a certain degree to most people, it's a one-liner town, right? It's about music. Everybody knows Nashville for music. But the reality is Nashville's surrounded, and Tennessee in general, surrounded by unbelievable nature. It's unbelievable gore. nature. It's gorgeous. I was gorgeous. in Knoxville last week, and I was blown away. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for this particular property and this particular brand, we're really playing up the natural part of Nashville and sort of, and we're calling, you know, the sounds of nature. So tying it to music, but in a, in a different way. And that's... That's the narrative. That's the fun poetic side of what we do. That's really uh, that. Then you get to once you establish that narrative, you then get to build on it and create it, and you have a checks and balancing system to make sure that you're always staying true to your narrative. And what, what, what you what, sorry, what you find when you go to many different places is that there's the in in the history is a more authentic feel of what a place is, and then our culture has gone through this embellishment phase where everything gets distorted and watered <laughs> down and doesn't really make any sense. And when you pull that back and you get back to the authentic, true qualities of a place, you're able to build on it in a way that's far more really what we do, right? Creating that story, creating that experience, creating that narrative that result in a more refined design approach that feels very rooted in the true place and not embellished. And, and, and you see so much in design um, around the country, just these added elements that are done for really no reason that people believe are, are good and strong and represent who they are and where they are, but what they're really not once you sort of pull it back and simplify things down. The best example of that, Andrew alluded it to uh, earlier, um, is probably one you'd never expect. Uh, and it's Nantucket. Um, so Nantucket is a really interesting place. It comes out of uh, a you know, very rich whaling history. Quaker the, style. Quaker style, really very simple. But over time, obviously, a lot of money has found its way there, and the, the island has grown. And now you look at these very, very large houses for very, very wealthy people that are enormous gambrels with lots of decoration and lots of detail and lots of additive massing and all of these things that actually when you strip away, when you look back at the history of the island and you look at the original settlements and you look at the, the language of architecture, it is surprisingly more modern because it's simple. It's simple, simple volumes, simple forms. And that resonates a lot with us because now we can look at something in terms of a simple geometry that's much cleaner and really embrace that language, know that it's actually more tied to the culture than what's being built today. And, you know, feel confident that we're doing something that's very connected to that place. That makes a lot of sense. I liked what you said earlier too about 
when you come into a project, like you said, you're working in uh, simultaneously in Banff, Kauai, and Nashville, three completely unique um, markets. I hadn't really, I keep saying I hadn't really thought about it. I guess I don't think about design as much as I thought I did, but I hadn't really thought about this before. But, um, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, run and own hotel groups. And so I think you've just tapped on an interesting point, which is when a hotelier is looking for a designer for a new project or a redesign project, um, looking not only at local designers, because they may know those real insider things you only know by growing up there or living there for many years, but also looking at designers from other markets because they will come in. And like you said, they won't get, you know, that forest and trees analogy where it's like, when you live somewhere, you just get used to a lot of things and you don't notice them. Um, but when you're new, you do. I remember I was at dinner recently. I live in the West Village, and one of my favorite restaurants is called Mirandi. And I was at dinner with a friend from Denver. And an hour into dinner, finally he stopped me mid-conversation, and he said, don't you get tired of feeling that rumbling between, beneath your feet? The subway <laughs> had been going under us all night at dinner. I don't even notice it. And it was driving right. him crazy. He felt like the building was shaking. And it was just such a good example. Like when you're in something, you, your senses actually dilute they adjust. in certain they adjust. areas yeah. Yeah, to, to shut out the noise. Um, so we've talked a lot about how you approach your projects and what you want a guest to experience. Um, I want to jump back to homes for just a minute because everyone listening has a home um, or something. they call, I don't have a home. I have something I call a home. Uh, I have a New York apartment. But um, when you're designing a second or even a third or fourth home for a client, um, how do you balance the need to create a unique escape and experience, but also to give them that familiarity and comfort that they're looking for from their design partner and in this space? That's a great starting point. Um, every, every project is different. So every client is different. Every site is different. The dynamic, the energy of a project starting off is always something that we have to pivot and adjust to. So we we do like to think of ourselves as really good storytellers. And in order to write the right story, you've got to interview a person just like we're having a conversation now to make sure we put together the right pieces of the puzzle for design to emerge out of. Um, so we like to get to know our clients very well, just like with any brand, we like to get to know the brand very well early on in the process. It usually it might happen in the interviewing process. Sometimes people hire us very quickly and we're getting to know them through the first several meetings and we're, you know, we're, we're strong note takers and we're great conversationalists internally to help dissect a lot of the pieces and, and bits that pe crumbs that people drop to us about, about what they want to create. And we, we like to think about it as we, we create that brief, we then run it through, you know, our filter, our design team filter and sort of set parameters and goals for the project that we think are going to get out of the project what we're looking for. Um, so we, we like to define our goals very early on, even before design is emerged. And from there, the, the design process really just starts. So it's, it's really about great intake, um, great analysis, reading between the lines of what people say to understand where we can push and where we need to pull back in the design process. But it's, it evolves. I mean, I, I don't think there's a really, we don't have this very strict stamped out 
approach. We have a framework that we operate within, but we like it to be sort of fungible and evolve based on the interaction and the relationship we're building with a client. Right. And the size and the place and all of those other things. We also we also want to make the process a enjoyable, because you know I think I don't think there's anybody in the architecture and design world that's gone through a project that doesn't have project fatigue by the end. Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of decisions. It's a lot of angst, anguish, all these things. So we try to make the process clear. We try to educate the client along the way so they understand the impact that their decisions have. Um, and we try as best we can to show that we're taking care of them, to show that we're thinking about all the different components of their life. In, in many cases, we're designing a second home or a third home for a client. It's not their primary residence. And you know, we will take on the entire responsibility of making sure that that home is move-in ready, where they have to show up with nothing, literally nothing. We will buy... You know, we will buy, buy, buy swimwear, robes, there'll be cutlery in the drawer, there'll be Peloton shoes waiting for them, sized for each of the, each of the people in the family so that they can ride their bike. We, because most it's of It's ridiculous. People, it's ridiculous, but we will go I, that far. I wasn't we'll going go to say far. it was ridiculous, but wow. It's pretty but stressful, it's a level, too. It's, it's a pretty level stressful, of service. too. I'd like bulletproof coffee in totally, the fridge, right? please, mocha flavored. But it's, <laughs> it's a level of service. First of all, you know, when we're talking about the type of client we're working with, um, very affluent group of people who want to be taken care of to a certain degree, who want a certain level of service, and we're happy to provide that service. In fact, the more we can do, the more comprehensive the service is, the better the out the better the outcome is. When we when we're handcuffed a little bit because a client doesn't want us to do something or doesn't, it, like you, it, we're better off when we actually own the whole thing and we can do it and we can deliver. Right. That's the moment. You know, Andrew's had this multiple times where people walk in, they see it all, and they literally start crying. It's if like if they don't cry, we're pretty disappointed right. at the end of the day. <laughs> That's mean, the truth. Really. It's like the really, you know, we it move is. the bus we away failed. and there it yeah. is, and they walk in, and and even with the most demanding, difficult clients. Did he just say we move the bus away? You know how you like you yeah know, from, that from that show. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway. Um, but they're even with the most demanding clients. What was that show called? That was um, <laughs> oh, uh, what was makeover that show? something makeover extreme makeover home totally edition. fake by the okay, way. I know is, people that worked on it. They didn't I, do it in a week. I it did, took them like six months. I, it's no, total BS. I did the PR for <laughs> yeah. an extreme makeover home edition in Jacksonville, Florida, like twenty years ago. I, well, I don't want to say anyway. A lot of it is pre-done. Of course, of course. So it has to be. That's one of the biggest problems. So one of the biggest problems of today's yeah, media. But it was so exciting. People think like, it can happen. It That's was a very problem. fun week. I will the, tell you, it was the, a fun week. The biggest yeah. problem we have today with with this media culture and with all of this stuff is that people who have not been through a process think it can happen, and they wonder why can't you do this in a week? I've right. seen it done. It's yeah, done no, on that actually, TV. Yeah, that makes. And we so roll much our sense. eyes and we're saying, and like, sorry, it can't. That's just not reality. Right. Um, right. You know, you just said something, Matt, that I really loved, which was, you You know, you were talking about having this home just turnkey, just bring your toothbrush and let, you probably have a toothbrush there for him too, but you know, walk on in and most people it, use automatic toothbrushes <laughs> and they're already plugged in and charged when they arrive. Yes. And, and, um, but what I love about that is how that translates to hospitality too, because one of the keys to great hospitality is being intuitive. That's right. And so that's such a big part of what you all are creating as well. In every project you do is that intuition of, it's almost like the UX, you know, what's the user experience like? Uh, where does the thumb naturally go when they want to push the next button? And you think of the same kind of energy and the you know how the brain works. And I love that. 
Um, Most of these clients are using their homes, the homes on Nantucket, the homes that we're doing in Aspen. They're using them for, you know, a number of weeks a year, right? They're not full-time residences. So at the most six to eight weeks, yeah. right? really not using them more than that. So nobody wants to deal with having to finish designing a place or, oh, I've got to now deal with like all my walls are empty and I've got to deal with art or I've got to make this place livable. And like you want to get there and have it be done. And if we can do that, then ultimately it's great for everybody because they get to start their life. They don't have to have these lingering things that they still have to deal with. Right, right. Tell, tell me more, you know, homes and hotels, I mean, even homes have more just play spaces and amenity spaces. You know, I feel like homes used to be so transactional and utilitarian. Each room had a purpose and there was nothing left over, you know. Um, but now we're looking almost at, you know, the amenities evolving in hospitality, development, and even residential projects. Let's talk a little bit about the amenities. What are some of the extra, not extra even, but just the, the fun spaces that you're designing in homes or in hotels? I mean, on the on the residential side, and it certainly, I think, it carries into development and hospitality, it's really... People want a wellness program, and you can you can define that in many different ways. What that means, it can be sophisticated kitchens that allow you to sort of eat healthier and store um, vegetables and root cellars and things like that. All these things are coming back, and and into the fitness side of it. I mean, we're doing a lot of indoor pools right now. We're doing full spas, home gyms, yoga spaces, meditation spaces. It's really about sort of self-preservation and having the ability to unplug. I think we all desire to do that now, even though we're plugged into like eight things right now in here. So it's really, how do you disengage from the world, create that personal experience within your home or in a development project? I mean, the list goes on and on of the amenities that have been created, people trying to reinvent the experience for the the urban dweller. I think, you know, it's, it's a little overdone in some cases, but nevertheless, people are all trying to rewrite that story story, um, but it really comes back to health and well-being and disengaging, and, and how do you do that through the power of design, um, both on interior spaces and exterior spaces, and I, I think the, the overlap really is that you want to do the same thing when you go away and you stay in a hotel. You want to disengage, you want to relax, you want your own sort of private space, um, and it's, it's, it's really almost the same thing, just at a different scale, and one is for the masses and one is for a singular user at the end of the day. I think that's the common thread. I mean, the common thread is is disengaging. Um, we are all so connected to our devices all the time. I get yelled at constantly by my husband to put my phone down, and I am modeling horrible behavior for my child. I know it. I do it all day long, and I talk to all my colleagues, and they're all doing the same thing. And we all know it, and we're all un, uh, sort of incapable of incapable of doing anything about it. And so, when you when you do disconnect, and I think we all look for these opportunities to disconnect. And um, you, you are so enriched by it, right? When you actually put your phone down and you go out on a boat or you're you know, working out in a gym or you're going swimming or you're doing something in a hot tub or you're going on a hike or you're going biking, or you're doing all these things that require you to be present and not someplace else, right? Through these devices, we're always someplace else. Through social media, we're always with someone else. But to take that away and remind us that we actually enjoy each other and we actually enjoy connecting with each other is, is really what everybody today is looking for. We've switched from, from an analog life to a digital, a digital life, right? We started with an analog life and we were sort of intrigued by the digital. Now we have a fully digital life and we desperately want the analog. 
I mean, it's the reason why Burning Man and Coachella and all of these types of happenings have popped up and why people flock to them. Because it's not about being on your phone. Right. It's about being in the moment. Even though people still Instagram it every five seconds that they're there, <laughs> so it's a little bit of a contradiction, but, you, you know. You know I but think it's about being in the moment. We are hitting that point, and I think even in the home and in travel. I was telling a friend recently, so I went to Scottsdale about, say, six weeks ago at this point, and on a whim, I hadn't planned on it when I was at JFK, out of nowhere, I thought, I'm going to delete Facebook and Instagram. I was there for three days, and I thought, I just need I need a break from being on my phone. And it was a pure vacation, you know, time off. So I deleted them right then. I didn't add them back until I was um, back in New York three days later. That trip felt like it was a week long. I was My brain was so clear, and I was so calm. I was with one of my best friends. She's also a very clear, calming person. Two weeks later, I went to Bermuda. Same thing, Friday through Monday. I left social media on my phone. I barely remember my trip. And I was there with one of my best friends, and I think I looked at my phone for half the trip. And, and I made a decision right then and there that when I'm on va- true vacation, um, I'm taking it off my phone. That's a great case study. Yeah, it just it, it was just a good side-by-side. Yeah, and, and um, even occasionally now on a weekend, I'll just pick, they call it like screen-free Sunday, mm-hmm. but I'll pick a Sunday and just say, this is just a, I don't need to be on my phone, I don't need to be on my computer, I don't even need to watch TV. Um, and the crazy all, thing is when you do it... We're all getting exhausted. Sure, yeah. and then you, you come away feeling alive. You do. Mark Manson, who's pretty famous, pr- famous author, he uh, just came out with a really good article called The Attention Diet, and he's talking about how to get your own attention back again. It takes a long it takes a long time. I mean, yeah. I read a lot of articles for children because my son has a screen addiction challenges. So it takes you much longer than you think for your brain to settle down and the endorphins to calm down and you actually right. re-engage humans in a sensible way. It's not yeah. as easy as you think. Yeah. And carrying that into your environment matters. Well, I know that our time is running out. One thing I always love to to end on and talk about is, um, you know, I, just you, dreams and hopes and dreams. But you know, when when you are traveling, what are a few of your favorite either places or spaces? And um, you know, if you could say to our listeners, if they could do one thing in their space to make it better today or this week, we'll say this week, what's one thing that anyone can do to improve their own space? Edit. I was going to say, I was going to say simplify. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Less is more. more. Visual distraction yeah. is distraction just like a screen. Strip your space down so it actually reveals its true self. It connects you to the outside. Position your furniture so it's oriented towards the exterior, not a television screen or a fireplace, these artificial elements. And allow yourself to connect to the space beyond not just what's right in front of you. Yeah. Edit is probably the, the first place to start. Look for some common elements, if it's a common texture, a common tone, a common material, and try to edit, edit out the things that compete with that, right? You'll just all of a sudden find that things are quieter, things are sort of more, uh, there's more of a consistency, um, and that, you know, it's going to feel a little bit more intentional, Right? I think we live in a lot of spaces that happen accidentally. We accumulate stuff. So, you know, we're in a consumption culture, and so stuff arrives by a box, and it's just more is more is more. And you know, the idea of having to edit and throw stuff away or give stuff away or reduce, it's incredibly cathartic, and it uh, ultimately is just going to make a space look better also. 
It really is. Uh, four years ago, I moved from a pretty large home in California to a 400-square-foot West Village studio. I gave a TEDx talk on this topic about a year ago because of that. And I, so I tell people I'm an accidental minimalist um, or maybe even a reluctant middle, minimalist because I didn't mean to be one. But now that I am one, I almost can't imagine having so many things again. Um, there is something... But it's harder to be the minimalist than to be the one that has stuff. And as Matt said, things accumulate. and they st- sure. It's a very difficult, demanding lifestyle to live, to keep things light, you minimal, uncluttered. You have to intentionally yeah. not to bring new things in, or if you do, it is very first in, first out in my household. One thing in, one thing out. Is, I, want my, yeah. I, have, I have one pot and one pan. Okay. Uh, I don't, I, anyway, we do have to wrap up. I know y'all have to go. Um, any last words for us or any dream destinations where you are going to plant your next hotel flag? You want to put it out to the universe? Put it out to the universe. I, I would love to do something in, uh, in Latin America. Okay. Absolutely love to do something in Latin America. I just came back from Tulum. It is a magical place. Um, places like Mexico and Central America and South America have different, uh, different rules, different regulations. So th- to a certain degree, what you can do is different. Uh, there's more opportunity to experiment. Um, and I just think the cultures uh, embrace living in a very rich way. Um, we're actually going with our families to Spain at the, end of, uh, at the end of August, another culture that just embraces life in an incredibly rich way. So to be able to design for that, those cultures is a dream. That's awesome. I'm going to Tulum in September. I'll have to get some notes from you on it's great. things to do. It's great. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's anything that has water and mountains. I, I, I'm, I'm a big view person. If the vista is there and you can embrace that and help to inform the design, that's, that's, that's my dream place. I'd, I'd like to be on the ocean, in the mountains, looking out with nothing in front of me. You must be living your best with this Banff uh, project then. Yeah, they're, they're all amazing. Yeah. They all have something to offer, but you have to wrap them all into one. And finding that place, I think I'm still in search of where that is. Okay. I like it. Well, gentlemen, this has just been such a treat. Thank you for being here with us today. And I know that our listeners probably just got so much out of this. Um, please let them know where they can find you if they'd like to connect and learn more about what you all are doing. Workshopapd.com. Uh, and on Instagram and Facebook. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you both. And to our wonderful listeners, as always, thank you for being a part of this journey with us. It means the world to us that you take a part of your day and join us at Priority Status and J Public Relations. And um, until next time, travel elevated.